Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. I'm gathered here today with our usual cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. On the phone, we have Pastor Peter Hill and also Pastor John Sias, who is joining us and has joined us before, but uh, always glad to have you with us when you're available in the midst of your very busy schedule. And I'm Pastor Sean Smith, and we are digging into more about Articles 7 and 8 of the Church and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession today. I guess I should stop for a moment and actually welcome you guys. I mentioned your names, but welcome. Great to have you guys here with us, as always. Good to be here. Good to be back, and it looks like we dropped ill, and and I think he's calling back, so I'll I'll go off and and talk. I'll let you handle that. Yeah, we can't lose him. He's our our talker. You there, Ill? I'm here. There he is. All right. Great to have you with us, Pastor Ill. Glad to be here. All right. So we are digging into Articles 7 and 8, and we've been working through this for a couple weeks now. Uh, We'll try not to set the record like we did with uh, Article 4 of the Apology and talk about it, although we never really leave that. We keep coming back to it. It's only three more pages. I don't think we'll last a year on this. Yeah, that's good. And one of them has a large picture in it, so a woodcut. So we'll be all right. But uh, we're picking up with uh, paragraph 23 today, and I'm just going to go ahead and read, and uh, we'll, we'll jump into discussion then about this. So I'm, I'm actually going to pick up uh, right there at uh, paragraph 23. The adversaries perhaps require that the church be defined in the following way. To them, the church is the supreme outward monarchy of the whole world. In this church, the Roman pontiff's power is unquestioned. No one is allowed to argue against it or criticize it. He sets up articles of faith or abolishes them and abolishes the scriptures according to his pleasure. He approves worship ceremonies and sacrifices to frame whatever laws he may wish. He dispenses and exempts from whatever laws, divine, canonical, or civil, he may wish. From him, the emperor and all kings receive the power and right to hold their kingdoms according to Christ's command. It must be understood that this right was transferred from Christ since the Father subjected all things to him, to the Pope. Therefore, the Pope must necessarily be Lord of the whole world of all the kingdoms of the world, of all things private and public. He must have absolute power in earthly and spiritual things and both swords, the spiritual and temporal. Besides this definition, not of Christ's church, but of the papal kingdom, has as its authority not only the canon lawyers, but also Daniel eleven thirty six through 39. We'll go ahead and pause there. Uh, Pastor Silas, I kind of joked right before we went on air, you were you were taking a look at the Constitution of Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, good secretary of the Senate that you are. And uh, and then here we jump into all of these uh, canonical laws and the uh, kind of temporal rule and authority of the church. What do you think about this? Right, yeah, a good secretary has always got to have his handbook handy. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, I did bring it along today. Uh, you know, it, it is, uh, as I was preparing for this, uh, just a chance to reflect on the nature of uh, our synodical union, that it's not, uh, you know, first and foremost or even secondarily a uh, an earthly realm uh, or uh, the, the wielding of the two swords or uh, a bunch of uh, policies and procedures, but primarily a confessional union, uh, a union uh, based in the hearing uh, of the Word of God. And uh, so a, a, a real distinction there uh, with the authority of the papacy uh, in the Catholic Church where what the Pope says uh, goes. Yeah, you almost see in, in reading this, and we talked some about it last time as well uh, as in the preceding paragraphs, he's kind of building up to this point. But uh, we, we see kind of the two realms, uh, two kingdoms historically, uh, Lutherans would talk about it. I, I like two realms because it's one kingdom, God's kingdom, but he rules in these two realms. And, and we see the, the Roman Catholic Church, especially at that time, uh, definitely trying to rule both realms um, themselves through the church instead of being the church of the right hand uh, and letting the left hand be governed civilly. Uh, and, and it seems a little backhanded by Melanchthon here almost that, that uh, he's saying you, you've almost forsaken uh, your, your right hand responsibilities as the church for the sake of so much power and authority in the left hand. I, and, and, and I think that's a helpful discu- uh, distinction that you make there uh, in that, uh, you know, as, as we consider who we are as Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Lutherans, um, that uh, our, our union is around our confession, around Scripture. Uh, Pastor Fisk, you want to jump in? Yeah, there the certainly is in the history of the Roman Catholic Church times when the, the, the popes made it pretty evident they only cared about the power of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's no way around that, even for a faithful Roman Catholic. And I, I never quite have understood how they, they reckon that, you know, the times when there's three popes and they're all fighting for who's really the pope, and then they get rid of all of them and they put on a new one. It's like, well, where's this, you know, the apostolic consistency here? But at the same time, things aren't quite that bad now, at least on the surface, the Pope isn't trying to to make sure that the President of the United States gets his imprimatur before he gets put into office or anything like that, right? But it's not like it's really changed either when we're talking about things like establishing forms of worship, right? The sacrifice of the Mass is still very much a part of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, wanting to dispense laws, divine, uh, canonical, or otherwise, right? So if you, you can get your dispensations through... Uh, indulgences for following the Pope on Twitter or whatever the most recent one that they do is. And yes, that one really did happen. So what I really wish I had in front of me as a as a pastor today was a more clear description of exactly where they are right now, though, because I know we can't quite say this describes the Pope today, but it kind of still does. And so it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of one hand and then the other. And, and in reflection on what you say there, too, I think it's even more difficult in today um, ironically, with ease of communication and so forth, it's really quite varied more than maybe it was in years past where that power was definitely centralized with Rome. Uh, but now I, I've often um, seen as I've traveled about and so forth and interacted with Christians of various denominations, especially the Roman church, how vastly different like, you know, American Catholic. Catholicism yep, yep. is from like Central American Catholicism mm-hmm. or Catholicism, you know, over in India or things like that. And as, as I've been to different parts of those places, you you would still see kind of that temporal power mm-hmm. uh, still very much there as a part to the church. Whereas here in the United States, we've kind of Americanized things and, and it's a little different in, in how that plays out. Pastor L, you have any thoughts? 
I, I sure do. I wanted to build a little bit on what Pastor Fisk was saying, too, because it comes down to uh, we're not here to uh, to Catholic bash or to Pope bash. Um, this common temptation occurs for for us as, as Lutheran and Protestant Christians, too, because in our own American political system, sometimes we see uh, different political parties looking for the Christian vote. And they're looking for the church to make political authority too, or in the case of of how churches work. Um, I know sometimes people say, "Well, Pastor, you just tell us what to do, and we'll go do that." And you go ahead and just set the direction. Uh, I know for for the Christians that I get to serve, that's a really dangerous thing to say. Uh, nobody really wants to do what I what I think. That's a terrible idea. But um, from time to time. There are those cases where we look for that kind of civil and political authority outside of God's Word, and and we aren't looking at the Church as something that comes with grace and mercy and forgiveness, but we're looking for it to be um, a political system. But that's not what Christ has instituted for us. He has called us not to be uh, those who serve over others, uh, to, uh, to be their governors and lords, uh, he says that's what the Gentiles do, but rather we are to be servants of all. And that's what uh, Christ has called us to in the Church. Yeah, I, I, I think a key distinction here really is um, what what Luther did so well for us in the distinction of the two realms. And I, and I think especially right there in paragraph 24, line 24, uh, he must have absolute power in earthly and spiritual things and both swords, the spiritual and temporal. You, you hear behind that, you know, that uh, they're, they're, they're saying of Rome that uh, it, it's not enough for you to just be church. You, you want both swords and, and you want that rule to be coming from the Pope. And that's a danger. And I think you accurately pointed that out there, Pastor Hill. That's a danger that we still face uh, still today. Um, and, and this is where I, I think building... Yeah, quite accurately on what Pastor Fist said. Uh, it is different for us here in America in, in the sense that, you know, we don't have one uh, specific denomination or things like that that kind of rule there, but that uh, we, we will sometimes think of ourselves broadly as Christians and, and political candidates and parties will seek to get that vote. Um, by aligning themselves, and, and we still have that temptation to that kind of yeah, central. Or even like of the anointing power. somebody and saying that this is God's candidate. You know, I, I've seen I've seen yeah. church leaders that have done that. So, John, you got thoughts? You look like you're deep. Well, it's uh, you know taking this late medieval uh, experience or perspective. This is certainly a, a tour de force of where the, the the height of papal power was in the uh, 16th century. Um, you know, and applying that to our our present situation is a little bit. A little bit challenging, um, and and not to be, uh, you know, to import something anachronistic here, but I, I think they're much more concerned uh, the confessors here at Melanchthon uh, with the Pope's authority in the Church than with uh, whatever sway the Church might have over the world. Uh, in 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 concern, you know, the the concern here is where the authority really lies. Um, you know, does the authority in fact lie in the institution of the papacy or in the person of the pope or is the church in essence and this is the anachronistic term you know a constitutional uh, uh entity uh is there a document that governs 
that delineates what the office of uh, of bishops and pastors will be. So when it gets on to talk about the office of bishops, it, they'll pick up this topic again. You know, the office is to forgive sins and and uh, to preach the word, uh, not to carry on all this uh, earthly authority. So, and, and I think that the final quotation here, uh, that the, the authors of the, the papal authority being not just the canon lawyers, but Daniel 11. I got that here if you want me to read it. Uh, yeah, uh, give us a few bars of that. Yeah, so it says, And the king shall duel as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his father, fathers or to the one beloved by women he shall pay no attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself yeah. above all right then this is a description sometimes called the antichrist the man of lawlessness how you want to define all that is is, is one thing but a description of one who sets himself in the place of god and claims to speak for god which interestingly you know you mentioned it, does the church have another constitution and that word can easily be transferred to well, of course we got a constitution pastor we got this set right. of bylaws this is how we we do things well. No, that's not. I don't think it's what Secretary Sias was getting at there. Of course, and and being Americans, you know, we we tend to substitute a, uh, you know, a, a, an assembly for the Pope. Yes, uh, we'll all take a vote, and that will determine what the doctrine will be. But and therefore, we're safe and can never have false doctrine. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the Word of God, mm. uh, in its clarity and with its authority is that constitution of the church which governs its offices and and corrects even those in in what appear to be the highest positions of power um including the bishops and here the the pope um so i think that's the that's the nugget here and and our temptation as as american christians uh to want to vote on it and have our way at the end of the day uh you know we can become the pope uh we can become antichrist uh just as he was hmm. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there, too, especially right at the beginning when you talked about, you know, that they're really more concerned about the, the uh, ecclesiastical, the church yeah. power that, that he is wielding there. I, I think it is connected in this sense. Um, and I see this even still today is that there's this temptation um, for especially laity that where they live every day is in the, the hardships of life and the concerns of you know how they're gonna you know be able to pay their taxes or mm. or um, you know uh, provide for their families you know those temporal concerns and so I, I think you know as you take a broad scope look at the history of the world especially in terms of the church and so forth it is when the church is able to wield that temporal authority uh, over the people where they're most concerned that then they also have great authority. Oftentimes, as we see here, abuse in that authority in terms of the church. Am, am I off base there? Or what, what are your thoughts there? No, I think there's definitely a definitely connection there, but what a terrible inversion uh, that we all think that what goes on in, in quote unquote, the left-hand kingdom is the stuff that matters today or matters most and uh, that the fellowship of faith and the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, um, you know, the place where Christ is most obviously in this world, all in all, uh, somehow plays second fiddle, and, and that the church has to hanker after the other role, 
to have any sway over people. Uh, it's it's a condemnation of 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 a church as a whole uh, that it would abandon the preaching of the gospel uh, for these other things in an effort to try to rally the people around. I mean, what a disaster! Yeah, but but it is what our sinful nature does is that we do Absolutely. invert it this way. Right? Absolutely, everything and, is trying to invert and and make the world everything and Christ nothing. Yeah, and, and and I think the Lutherans, and certainly Luther argued a lot in his Two Realms theology, that what we need is a recovery of what is proper, what is, uh, you know, that that the, the left-hand realm, uh, the civil realm, flows forth from the right-hand realm, the church, by the means of grace, through the word and the sacraments, that all of these things flow forth from that, that we are faithful um, there and then in the civil realm. Uh, but I think when that inversion happens, um, this is this is where we have this great kind of seizure of power. And what we tend to see then is abuse of that power in both realms. And I think I'm with you here. Uh, definitely, they're most concerned about the abuse of it in the churchly sense here. Uh, but I think... Right. Historically, it probably started in the in the civil realm in that inversion. And of course, the the Reformation is also a political event. Yeah, uh, you have the tremendous power uh, wielded by the emperor and by the electors, one way or the other. Uh, you know, these political authorities are very much intertwined uh, and caught up in the church's struggle with the word. And in some other parts of the Reformation, you saw people like uh, Calvin and Zwingli, uh, John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli were also wielding not only spiritual power, but also they were wielding a lot of political power, too. Yeah, say a little more about that. Uh, in in uh, Geneva, John Calvin set up not only uh, how the Church would run, but he set up a whole... Uh, churchly basis for uh, morality, for punishment for crimes, and where everything would be subject to the Word of God, and, and set up a, a theocracy in such a way that that everything was under the rule of the Church. And so uh, our sinners keep coming out the same ways. Uh, they just reinvent some of the details and the nuances. But our sinful flesh always wants to be in control. Uh, and so we end up always back at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And to that, our sinful flesh just shudders, because our sinful flesh loves to be in control and loves to tell other people how it has to be. And uh, so we end up wanting to set up our own theocracies, our own idea of how God says the world ought to be, so that I can flex a little bit of my own muscle over other people. I, uh, my sinful flesh has no problem trying to take over what God says so that I can tell others what their life should look like. Because God said so, and that sounds holy and pious, but it is deep down rooted in my sin and my sinfulness. Yeah. And, and and I think, too, to to return to this um, thought here, too, then what we need then is a recovery of uh, a right orientation towards, the God, towards God's Word as primary, first and foremost, His Word, His sacraments, uh, leading forth to faithfulness in all realms, uh, certainly uh, rightly governed. And, and I think that's where they go next here. I'm, I'm going to continue reading. So now, if we would define the church in this way, we would perhaps have fairer judges, for there exist many excessive and wicked writings about the Pope of Rome's power, for which no one has ever been charged. 
We alone are blamed because we proclaim Christ's graciousness, that by faith in Christ we obtain forgiveness of sins, and not by worship ceremonies created by the Pope. Furthermore, Christ, the prophets, and the apostles define Christ's church very different than the papal kingdom. Neither must we transfer to the popes what belongs to the true church, as though the popes are pillars of the truth who do not err. How many of the popes care for the gospel or judge that it is worth that it is worth being read? Many in Italy and elsewhere even publicly ridicule all religions, or if they approve anything, they approve only things that are in harmony with human reason. They regard the rest like fables and like the tragedies of the poets. According to the scriptures, we hold that the church, properly called, is the congregation of saints who truly believe Christ's gospel and have the Holy Spirit. We confess that in this life, many hypocrites and wicked people are mixed in with these. They have the fellowship and outward signs, are members of the church according to this fellowship and outward signs, and so hold offices in the church, preach, administer the sacraments, and bear the title and name of Christians. However, the fact that the sacraments are administered by the unworthy does not detract from the sacraments' power. Because of the call of the church, the unworthy still represent the person of Christ and do not represent their own persons as Christ testifies. I know I'm in the middle. I'm sorry. I I, I need to finish reading that there. As Christ testifies, the one who hears you hears me. Even Judas was sent to preach. Now I'm going to pause there, uh, and I'm in the middle of a paragraph was, when I pause I wish there. I had been at your ordination, because I would have just quoted that even Judas was sent to preach. I would have had that as <laughs> as what I said as the blessing. I laid hands that, on That's you. a temptation, you know, when they allow you to speak those <laughs> blessings. Yeah, but, what a uh, great line. As Melanchthon said, even Judas was sent to preach. Yeah. Well, it's a great comfort, uh, poor miserable sinner that I am. That uh, Amen. Amen. You know, the the power of the Lord still works. But but unflush that a little bit more too of what they're explaining. Well, what here. is getting at there? It is important for the sake of a Christian conscience, and it goes back to this this older debate in the early church when. I believe what happened historically was there were uh, there was during a time of persecution there were some pastors who gave up uh, copies of the scriptures to be burned basically so that they wouldn't get killed and then after the persecution was over they came back and the question wasn't even could they still be pastors the question was sort of can they still be Christians a little bit but the question was also well what does this make of all the people who were baptized by them before they did this is this baptism still valid what about all the Lord's Supper what about the uh, the entire carrying of the church. Were they really church or not? And the church gathered in assembly, searched the scripture, argued about this quite a bit, but it came down on the answer. No, no, no. It is God's word and sacrament that make what they say they do, not the person of the pastor. And so we reject those who would place upon the person of the pastor any final authority about the validity of word and sacrament ministry. And so in that, we have to therefore say it's possible for somebody who totally doesn't believe any of it to do it rightly and have it still work. Now, the odds that that would happen very often, not very often that you're going to have the devil himself get up there and proclaim Jesus Christ has died for you, right? Uh, but if he did, it would still be valid. And that's kind of the, the idea that's going on. So even in, and then with, with Judas, I mean... Here you have a guy who, I mean, it's not, I don't personally, and, and you can read scripture differently on this one, I think. I don't think that Judas had no faith ever. 
I think he was a believer who fell away. Yeah, but, but so did that mean then that those who were called to the gospel gospel by him didn't really receive the gospel? No, of course not. Right. So it, it is possible for any pastor to fall away, and that and that does not then jeopardize the works he did as a pastor, even if he fell away before you knew he fell away and you baptized your kid after he'd lost faith, that baptism's still valid as well. And that's again for the sake of the Christian confidence conscience to have confidence that the word is the the active saving uh, agent. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the key distinctions for us here then, especially as Lutherans, is that we recognize that the hub of it all, the, the, the center, the power comes from Christ himself. And it comes through means. And as we often see throughout scripture in many different places, um, that those means sometimes stumble themselves. And some, like Peter, come in repentance. Some, like Judas, do not. And that doesn't negate the validity of the power of those things to work and do exactly what God's word says it can do because it's ultimately God's power itself. And so that that really is a great comfort to us because I've seen congregations really torn apart and it is difficult um, when you have a pastor stumble and fall into grievous error, whether it be personal or moral or things of that nature. Um, But, uh, you know, then, then the crisis comes for the Christian uh, really in a couple different ways. You know, one, it can be, you know, well, if he can stumble, then what about me? Who's not as strong. Right. Uh, but, but even more grievously, well, if my pastor has fallen or this leader in the church has fallen, uh, and stumbled and, and been found false, then what does that mean for everything that he did among us? Pastor Sias, any thoughts? Yeah, of course it was an accusation, uh, by the the uh, Catholic opponents that the Lutherans held to something of this Donatist, uh, uh, approach, uh, speaking of the church as as a communion of saints, uh, they said, "Well, you're you're excluding all the unholy people, uh, all <laughs> the unworthy people, which of which we know there are some," and um, uh, and they challenged them on that basis. Also, looking at the, uh, Huss and other reformers uh, who had sharply distinguished between what the Lutherans or what the what the reformed. Uh, uh, priests of the time were doing from what the Catholic priests of the time were doing. One efficacious, the other they said not. Um, well, Luther doesn't doesn't draw this distinction, and the Lutherans don't. Um, those who take up Christ's word and sacraments according to their offices and do them according to His institution, of course, uh, achieve the effect Christ set out to to, to accomplish. Uh, and so here we can think of all the, the baptisms that we will receive done by uh, even pastors we won't, don't agree with uh, when people come over to the Lutheran Church. They aren't rebaptized. Uh, the baptism is what Christ made it to be if it was done according to his institution and so on. So uh, some frady stuff here. Yeah, great thoughts. The power is Christ. We're having good discussion about his powerful and effective word. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with you in just a minute. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. 
Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Hi, this is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. One of the treasures of the church is the many volunteers who give so freely of their time in service to others. St. Mark tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To all who share the love of Christ by volunteering, I thank you on behalf of a grateful church. As you make the gospel known through word and deed, may the blessings of Christ abound in your congregations, in your neighborhoods, and throughout the world. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. Today, we'd use social media to quickly spread a controversial idea. But in the 18th century, the printed pamphlet was highly effective, and Thomas Paine took full advantage of it. On January 9, 1776, when Paine published his pamphlet, Common Sense, he wanted to push the American people toward independence from Britain. It ultimately helped ignite the American Revolution. Thomas Paine argued that the monarchy was evil and should be rejected as a form of government. To underscore his point, he cited the Bible to argue his case in Judges 8, 22, and 23. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and grandsons. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Engage with the Bible in its influence over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters with our usual cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians today. We have Pastor Jonathan Fisk, Pastor Peter Ill on the phone, and Pastor John Sias here with myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host today. And we are continuing to talk about the the church articles 7 and 8 from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And we've been talking about how that church takes on its visible form, that which we see with our eyes, what it looks like, and, and yet also its invisible form. We've talked about this in previous shows, kind of setting this up, how it's the true church, God's communion of saints, where the gospel is rightly preached and um, delivered through the sacraments. And right at the end of the reading that I had that I broke in the middle of, I, I stopped right after a reading from Luke ten sixteen, where Christ himself says, the one who hears you hears me. And what a great comfort that we have that that power really does come from Christ himself. And so even, and now I'm going to finish reading that paragraph, when they offer God's word, when they offer the sacraments, they offer them in the stead and place of Christ. Those words of Christ teach us not to be offended by the unworthiness of the ministers. 
Speaking Pastor, of Pastor Ill, now you have something to say to your people. Yeah. They have no reason to be offended by your unworthiness. No response. Did you lose Pastor Ill? I don't know. I might have. Might have. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, but uh, speaking of unworthiness of ministers, really all of us sitting in this room could could certainly claim that. Uh, that uh, again, it, it is the great comfort that I have. That when I speak the absolution, I say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, Mm. I therefore forgive Mm -hmm. you all your sins. Because in my pastoral practice, I actually kneel right there in the front uh, for the uh, confession and so forth. And when I meditate, you know, for for that time of silence to uh, meditate upon our sins and so forth, uh, and then when we speak that corporate confession together, I am just so very aware of my unworthiness, Mm. especially as I confess my own sin right there. And then to stand up and turn around, sometimes, you know, in in kind of my more aware moments, um, you know, I'm like, I really have nothing to say to these people uh, because I'm so unworthy. But then that great comfort comes that it is the worthiness of Christ. It is in the stead and by his command, it's by his power that I speak this absolution. And he's doing that through me. And, and that's not just a great comfort to me as a pastor. That really is a great comfort to the parishioners who hear that. And, and as we were saying right before the break, when we recognize the, the truth of the reality that the gospel comes through the power of Christ himself, it can be delivered even through Satan himself, as mm. you as you said. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen too often. Uh, you know, he's, he's working against Christ. He's the antichrist, you know, the, the one who's working against that, that power and authority of Christ. And, and yet... It is the true power of God's word that it can be delivered through even the most unworthy of mm-hmm. servants. Pastor Sias. You brought up the invisible and the visible church, which yeah. is always a, an interesting topic for me. And, and, and those two almost dare never be mentioned apart from the same breath. Uh, and if we look here, this is a great example of it. Uh, you know, the, the reformers speak of the church as the communion of saints, but then immediately they say what? Uh, that it is where the word is, is rightly preached and the, and the sacraments rightly administered. There are the marks of the visible church right there with the, the invisible. And so here when they, they speak about this concern uh, of the, the efficacy of what the ministers of the church are doing, uh, this is a, a concern of people who are justified by faith. And, and they don't understand simply, well, I'm part of the communion of saints, justified by faith. I don't need anything. So who cares if the guy is doing it right or not? Uh, in, instead, they say here very, very clearly that when the, the pastor offers God's word, when he offers the sacraments, so he's doing something concrete, uh, something defined and instituted, given by Christ and through the apostles, uh, when that's done, then these things are, are efficacious. So it's, it's offered to faith through an external word. Mm-hmm. Uh, through means, and, and the people are concerned that this is actually uh, valid and legitimate in accomplishing what it says, um, and and that's an antidote for us too, I think, uh, because Lutherans have this kind of tendency uh, to think, well, if I'm saved by faith, why am I spending all this time in church? And, and we really underestimate. Uh, the the weakness of our of mm-hmm. our fallen flesh and the challenge of the old evil foe and also the value of what Christ has to offer in word and sacrament. Uh, this is very much a confessional concern 
that that what I'm receiving in church is the real deal, and and that comes through comes through marvelously here. Yeah, and and tagging there on too that I, I, I used and we've talked about this in previous weeks, but to kind of reaffirm this too that that uh, invisible invisible church. I I, I was. I kind of learned it this way from uh, CFW Walther and his. Well, if you learned uh, it from Walther, yeah, well, okay, you know, that's yeah. definitely right. But who's, uh, who's that? Yeah, uh, who's that we'll, guy? We'll cover him again okay. sometime. Okay. But uh, first president of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, of course. Uh, he. Uh, I didn't know you were that old. He, well, no, I mean I didn't learn it directly <laughs> from him as much as feet. I, I learned it. I learned it through his writings, which is actually kind of a point here to this as well, Touché. right? How, how do we? How do we? Um, you know, we we sing the Nunc Dimittis on Sundays, you know, uh, and we with Simeon say, my own eyes have seen thy salvation. Well, did we see Jesus walking on the earth? Did did we hold him in our arms like Simeon did? Not in a sense, but in another sense, through the word and the sacraments, we really do see that. So coming back to my Walther guy then, through his writings, all right, which is not as powerful and effective as, as God's word is. I want to be clear on that, although I do highly regard them. But uh, he had several writings on this and, and one set of theses, uh, the true invisible church and then the visible form of a Christian congregation. I think he lays out really well uh, the, the struggle and tension that we have in this then is, is that by faith... Are we true, truly members of that communion of saints, right? But I can't look at any of you, and even though, Pastor Sias, I, I, I'm looking at you right now here in the studio, and I see a collar around your neck, and so I assume that you're definitely a part of that communion of saints. But even then, right. I can't really see the faith of your heart. Really, only God can. So all I can do then is go off of what I can visibly see, and 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 sometimes the way that this is helpfully described is kind of like a, a you know a hub and then the spokes of a wheel, right? Um, the hub is Christ, His powerful and effective Word that truly makes saints by faith. All right, what I can see coming into there are the spokes of the wheel. And these are the things that we point to in the church ink, if we want, you know, as Pastor Ill likes to say there, or you know the the kind of um, uh, visible things of the church here on earth. You know, a lot of those things are spokes that kind of come into this. And I can see those, and and we're working with those and say, hey, you know what? Uh, th- this spoke is a support and, and showing the nature of that true faith being active there. And especially when it comes to the word and the sacraments, um, you know what? I, I don't like my metaphor all of a sudden. Uh, of the spoke in the wheels, because the the word and the sacraments really aren't spokes. Mm-mm. All right, I'm going to unravel this now. All I know <laughs> Forget is, that is, metaphor. Is, is what I heard you say is that the scriptures are true, but you also need the works of C.F.W. Walther, another no, testimony of no. Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> no, but I do want to finish this thought, even though the metaphor just completely fell apart on me. Bill, are you but, there? But yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay, listen, listen, it's an important thought. Here we go. <laughs> what, what is what is true here, <laughs> here is is that in the visible sense what where i can see that church being worked out is through the word and the sacraments yes. and uh and those are the visible tangible real things given to us where god has promised to be and promised to be at work through his means of grace building and sustaining that faith that makes you a part of that true invisible church right and and don't throw away your spokes yet because, I'm not throwing them away. Because I think it's just a better metaphor for you know, maybe the, someone. The apology here is is distinguishing between some spokes, if you will, and others. Mm, mm-hmm. Those which are instituted by Christ, those uh, which feed faith, huh. uh, those which forgive sins, 
and then all the humanly created stuff. And uh, they'll get into this discussion of, of universal rights and particular rights and what's necessary for the unity of the church and so on. And uh, the, the, uh, the confession and the apology afterwards say, well, what? The gospel and the sacraments, that these be done purely and, and, and rightly. And uh, so that image, I, I think, is very helpful here. You, you get to, you, uh, going from an old-fashioned bicycle uh, wheel with a whole bunch of little wiry spokes down to one of these fancy carbon fiber deals with uh, just what Christ has put there uh, to keep the wheel in, in, in place. Yeah, and, and I think in that sense, too, it, it, you are right. All these other things play in to support that uh, hub, which is Christ, his word, and sacraments. I just didn't want to make the word and sacraments they, yeah, they spokes. D- d- deliver the goods. I mean, they, they, they bring the wheel to the road and, uh, and, and actually sustain that invisible faith. The, the things that sustain that faith, we can see. Yeah, and, and, and should they taste. break, right, then we quickly lose the hub and the whole wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're, yeah. You're, you're not going anywhere fast. Yeah. All right, Pastor L, now that we saved it. Okay. <laughs> I actually want to zoom out just a little bit um, and kind of recap the argument so far, because I think there's some really helpful uh, things going on here that Melanchthon is structuring. First, he says that the the Pope has claimed all kinds of uh, civil and religious authority. Not only is he speaking the word of God, but he's also doing things like crowning the empire, the emperor, and saying who gets to be king and who doesn't get to be king, and having all of this authority on both sides. And then he turns around and he says, "But if we're defining the church properly, and it's about speaking the word of God." The Word of God is spoken and preached even sometimes by people who, based on their their confession of faith when they're not doing pastor things, might not be Christian, but God's Word is still preached and heard. And again and again, he comes back to this idea that it's not the political authority of the Pope, it's not the governmental authority of the Pope, it's not his ability to make kings or, or to do anything else, but it is the power of the Word of God that makes the Church the Church. The Church isn't bound up under any kind of uh, secular or civil or governmental authority. The Church isn't put together under any other kind of authority other than the authority of the Word of God. And where the Word of God is declared and delivered to God's people, there is the Church. Sometimes we see that. Sometimes we, we uh, know that God's Word is being spoken, but we don't see its effects and its results. But God's Word does what, God's wor- what God promises His Word will do. It works in the lives of sinners. It builds, it comforts, it binds consciences, even as it calls to repentance and the weight of the law crushes in order to prepare those Christians to hear the gospel. So, Pastor O, would you be arguing then that, in a sense, in our uh, apology here, we are defending the church in Rome, that even though they're doing some rather ungodly things, that the church is still present among them? Um, I think so. Uh, I have to admit, I, I, I'm a little uh, turned around in the middle of paragraphs 25 and 26 of if Melanchthon is saying, I'm not sure that there's really Christians in the office, uh, 
based on on what you're doing, but God's word is continuing to work even even among people who are doing things that that probably they shouldn't be doing. People who publicly ridicule religion maybe shouldn't be pastors. That's kind of how I'm picking it up. But if they are pastors and they are speaking God's word, where they speak God's word, God's word is working. Um, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Smith, or any of you other gents. I that would be great, but. Uh, I, I think actually Melanchthon's being pretty harsh here. Hmm. Yeah, Pastor Fish, you breathed deeply <laughs> just as he said well, that. So did you want to? I was thinking a joke that that a theological joke, mind you, that still I maybe should should keep to myself. Uh, but but uh, hearing, having heard pastors in churches, and I don't mean just evangelical churches or just Calvinist churches or just the Pope's churches, I mean, in Missouri Synod churches, say phrases that basically come down to, well, I'm not really authorized to talk about what the Bible says, but I think this, and this is what we should do, and that that's something we find, and that if we take Melanchthon at his word here, uh, it he is condemning them, at the very least, to say that they, they don't have clean consciences in what they're doing. There, there's no way that they can really believe what they say they believe, or uh, they're, they're working against their own conscience and destroying whatever faith there is that's there with, without knowing it, right? Which is, and, and, and don't let me be too harsh, this is all of us. Every day we're destroying our own consciences, and but for the Word of God re-engaging us, drowning us, and raising us again, we would all just walk off the deep end, a bunch of lemmings running into the sea, right? So we need this church which is us, but it's not us, right, to come to us and continue to make us one with this great body, which is literally the man Jesus himself, who is doing this by these words, flying through time and space, hitting our ears, hitting our faces, going down into our tummies, weird, but true. That's not the answer you were looking for. Well, I I think it is, (laughs) you know, and again, maybe the answer is, uh, as you were even saying there, Pastoral, with with those kind of things, feel a little turned around. Maybe maybe the answer is is that it really is kind of a tension. You know, you you, you hear someone say, you know, a, a pastor say, uh, you know, and I've heard it too, um, and maybe even stumbled into it myself a couple times. You know, I don't really know if I you know can speak about this, but I think you know, and it's like, well. Then, then what is your position there as a pastor? You right. know, should should you maybe evaluate you know what your position as a pastor is, um, and and even more so um, when when things are ungodly and in conflict to scripture, and, and you know I, I haven't really heard this in LCMS circles, but in in Christian circles, you know when you say something that you think is opposed to God's holy word which is true, um, then yeah, maybe you ought not be a pastor. But when you proclaim God's word from scripture and and it is true and God's powerful and effective word, it's still it's still working, yeah. you know, because God's still working through His powerful and effective. That takes word. me back to that comfort that you were talking about as a pastor when you're kneeling during the confession and and you're effectively thinking, I have no business turning around and pretending to have authority to help these people. I, I have no business doing this uh, in and of myself. But I have been called not only by the gospel, but then sent by the church without my authority, with the church's authority, to turn around and speak something which, Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me, not because they're my words, right, but because they're Christ's words. And then in this, to have the confidence as a pastor, and I'm going to talk to the office of the ministry, ministry first here, that as a pastor, whenever you open your mouth and what scripture says, you say, if the world hears 
you, it's hearing Jesus. And if the world doesn't hear you, it's not rejecting you. It's rejecting Jesus, yeah? Uh, and this goes then for the Christian as well, that when you confess Christ before the world, if the world hears you, they hear Jesus. And if the world doesn't hear you, they don't hear Jesus, which is why we should never change what Jesus would have us say to get the world to listen, right? That that is not the call we have. The call we have is instead to go with these words confident that I, I looked, when the, when I, before I breathed with my joke, I went and looked up Second Timothy 4, right? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, regardless of whether they hear us or not, to continue trusting that this will make us church, that Jesus will build his church, that the church will endure, that you and I will rise from the dead on the merits of, of what he's done for us. Yeah, and, and, and there too, another great comfort that they really are hearing Jesus. And, and even though at times I may not be, I find this sometimes too, you know, maybe I've had a rough week and, and, uh, my sermon prep isn't quite what it really should be, but you know, I, I've worked diligently to make sure I'm speaking God's word here. Mm-hmm. And so even though I may speak it weekly and so forth, um, that God's word is still being proclaimed to his people. And even when they might revile against that, because I just didn't have the great presentation that, you know, God's word really deserves, uh, or, or something else to that effect, whatever it may be going on. Maybe they hear the word and they don't like it and they revile against that. Again, the comfort is, is that God's saints have heard the voice of Jesus and it is building up and sustaining them in faith. And even more, even if they don't like it, even if they try to reject it, they still have heard God's word. So then, therefore, as scripture says, they can't stand guiltless on that last day. They have heard the word proclaimed to them and they rejected it. Sometimes I wonder if our, our desire to, as you said, you know, give the word the, the presentation it deserves isn't kind of the problem though, right? Like, like how much do we believe that we have to do something to make this word work? Whereas if I just speak it now, don't get me wrong. I'm not just getting up there and reading it out loud and not saying anything about it, but to, to really believe that if all my prep is not leading me to only say what it says, but instead leading me to come up with some kind of trick to get you to hear what it says, I've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable there. Right. And and certainly I agree with you there. And what I meant when I said it was not so much, you know, that I'm, in, you know, I'm trusting my own presentation ability to make sure. it effective. I don't think you are. Right. right. It, it's more the, you know, God's word is really quite awesome, powerful and effective, as we say. And so as as a as one claimed by Christ in the office of holy ministry, especially, I want to do my my level best to to convey that in a way that gives it glory. Amen. It already has all the glory on its own. I'm just Kind of like, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, it already has the power and effectiveness. Um, I'm just praying that it would be so among myself. Right. And even right. when I fail in that task, the sheep still hear his voice. Pastor Sias, now we've been kind of talking past you here for a little bit. You want to jump in? Don't forget our, our brother, uh, the the one who has great unworthiness to offend the world, but for his office, Pastor Eel, who's on the phone. But go ahead. Yeah, let's, 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 I'm just listening. We're good. <laughs> oh, we're, we're good out there. I, I you know, the... Um, uh, the the thing I'm thinking about here as we as we look at this is uh, this you know the worthiness of pastors and uh, the 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 metric if you will of, of the success of the church. Um, I just read a book uh, biography of Luther. It was kind of a focused thing, but it, it it kind of looked woefully on the latter chapters of the reformer's life. And oh, if only he'd compromised at Marburg. Oh, if only he'd done this and that. Think what a great church this this could have been. 
And uh, we always have the temptation, as here, you know, they say they, they only approve things that are in harmony with human reason. They teach what goes along with the way the world is going. Maybe not with the worst of intentions to say, well, this church is going to be big and successful like the, like the world goes. But the main thing has been, has been lost. And, uh, and, and so for us, that fourth uh, article, the confession is right here. You know, justification by faith, it's delivered through gospel and sacraments, and, and those that do it may not always be, be worthy to handle such things, but we know how to prepare them. Uh, we know what they need. And uh, so the Church of the Reformation is about that. Yeah, it reminds me of even, you know, uh, Peter's confession and yeah. Jesus' response to him, upon this confession, upon this, this rock, I here. shall burn, yeah, I shall burn. I'm sorry. Build I shall my build my church. But even even the like, you don't even me. know what you just said, Peter, but it's going to do its work, right? right. Yeah. You know, the Father revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. So, like, even there, the, how how incompetent we are and how competent the confession is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pastor Ill, you want to jump in here? Uh, we got just a couple minutes left. Uh, some maybe parting thoughts from you. Um, yeah, I think that this passage uh, from the Confessions is really helpful for us because it helps us to really grapple with, it's not about how the world perceives the Church. It's not even about how we perceive the work of the Church on Earth. The complete and entire focus of the evaluation of the Church is, is it faithful to the Word of God? And so we aren't trying to pay attention to numbers or to actions or to... Uh, anything other than what has God's Word made of His Church. When God comes and speaks, He declares simply how it is. He baptizes, He absolves, He preaches, and He communes. And when He does all of those things, that's where the Church is. None of those practices are magical. Those are the places where God has promised to be, for his people. And he comes and he says, I make you the church. And now that you're the church, go live in that forgiveness of sins and continue to be my people, uh, just like Pastor Fisk said before. This is where you uh, preach the word in season and out of season. And we do that so that indeed those around us might confess the excellencies of those, as the excellencies of God our Father in heaven. And that's exactly what we're about again and again. And that is the Christian life, and that is the Christian church. It's not about authority or power or anything else. It is about hearing and believing the Word of God. Absolutely well said. That is the definition of the church. It, the church is not defined by being the most friendly, by being the most active in missions, by being the most uh, aligned with certain political parties or having certain power and grandeur here on the church, here on earth, rather. Rather, the church is defined by Christ, his word, his holy and blessed sacraments given to strengthen and sustain you in the faith. Dear brother Christians, I thank you. And sister Christians, I thank you for stopping by hearing us discuss about the true definition of the church. I encourage you also to go find that church that is faithful in the word and the sacraments that you may hear the voice of Jesus. Thanks for stopping by. And until next time, keep confessing, church. Church.